Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. today. We're looking at Esther 5 and 6, but let me give you a little bit of background if you've been missing this. The book of Esther is one of the most exciting books in the Bible. The story is set about a hundred years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And although the many Jews had returned back to Jerusalem, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about this Jewish community living in Susa, which is the Persian capital. There are two main characters in this story. Uh, the first one is Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai. Hey, not bad. You guys are good at this. Who adopted his, I guess, his orphan cousin Hadassah, and her Jewish name is Esther. Everybody say Esther. And they are of a Jewish descent. Then there's the king of Persia, and his name is Xerxes. He's a drunken pushover. And then there's Haman, who's the bad guy in the story, okay? So you got a little bit of the land, lay out the land. Interesting, some, some facts to note here today is this, that God is never mentioned in this scripture. It's kind of odd. When you read the Bible, you always hear about God. But a brilliant technique of writing from the author, who's never mentioned who the author is, is it's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity and God's purpose working behind the scenes. I want you to just stop for a second. Where is God's activity and God's purpose working behind the scenes in your life today? I want you to be aware of this because in, in just a few moments' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to interact with God's activity. Maybe you know the Lord and maybe you have a relationship with him, but, but there are some areas where you're just not pursuing God and, 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 and recognizing his activity. And maybe you're far from faith today and you're here for who knows what reason. Maybe someone brought you here or you just felt compelled to be here today. I'm going to tell you you're here not by accident. But God's activity is at work in your life today. He wants to speak to you. And so get ready for what God wants to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive from him today. So let me give you a brief summary of chapters 1 through 4, okay? We, as we dig into chapter 5 and 6 today, let me give you a little bit of the uh, background here. Chapter 1 and 2 is the king of Persia, Xerxes. He hosts this elaborate party brings in uh, a number of people for about 108 days. Now, this is the party of all parties, okay? I mean, I like parties, but that is insane. And so for the simple purpose of what? It wasn't his birthday. It wasn't really celebrating any, anything. He just wants to tell everybody, I am the great king. Let's have a party. That's what they do. Last day of the party, the king, uh, he is so, so out of it. He's drunk. 
He's in such a drunken state, he calls for his queen, Vashti, to show off her beauty. And she refuses. And so he gets rid of her, poses of her. And he makes a decree. He says this, let, let all men be the masters of their own homes. Ah. Something like that. I don't know. He probably said it in another way. But then he holds this beauty pageant. He gets all the beauties lined up because he needs to find himself a new wife. And here enters Esther and Mordecai into the story. Esther hides her Jewish identity, doesn't tell anybody this, enters the pageant, and guess what? She wins. She's the beauty of all beauties. The king is so obsessed with her that he elevates her to the new queen. While this is all happening, Mordecai overhears a plot of the royal guards, the people who are to protect the king and the kingdom, to kill the king. Mordecai shares this information, this intel with Esther, who then tells the king, and Mordecai is then honored for this, gets credit for saving the king's life. But God is never mentioned once in these first two chapters. Chapter 3, Haman is introduced and is elevated to the highest point of the kingdom. He is an Agagite, which means he's a Canaanite, which really is... Let me just give you the bottom line. He's the bad guy here. He demands that everyone would bow down before him. When Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to bow, which makes Haman very, very angry. Haman finds out that, that Mordecai is Jewish, so then he persuades the king to enact a decree to kill all the Jewish people. Chapter 4, Esther and Mordecai are the only hope for the Jewish people. So they make a plan to reveal their identity to the king and ask the king to reverse what he's declared, the decree he's made. But the request is in opposition to the Persian law and it is punishable by death. So Mordecai believes maybe that's why you are the queen, Esther, and her response to this is, if I perish, I perish. Takes us to where we are today in chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead, take a look there. If not, we've got this on the screen today. And so Esther, she hosts her very first banquet as the queen. She begins by sending the invitations to the king and to Haman because she wants them to attend this exclusive banquet. The king says, what do you want? What's going on? What's going on? What, do you, what, what, do you, what do you need from me? I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Not a bad deal. But Esther says, I want you and Haman to attend my exclusive banquet tomorrow. Then I will answer the king's question. Very bright. So let's read what it, where it starts here in Esther 5, verses 9, all the way through in 6. Haman went out that day, happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. 
calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I am, I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Now, kind of. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits, which is about 75 feet or if you're in meters, 23 meters or so, and asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. This is serious stuff. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Anybody reading this kind of going, this is crazy. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Chapter 6, that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the chronicles that record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. I guess if you can't sleep, bring in the book of chronicles. Not, not the one we read in the Bible, but anyway, it's kind of the report on how you're doing as a king. What's going on in the kingdom? It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor them than me? So the so he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe to the king the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princesses. Let the, them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Did you catch that? The king 
This is just a crazy story. The king can't sleep. He orders his attendants to bring out the book that gives a report on his rule and his reign, what's happening in the kingdom. He notices that Mordecai has never been honored in, in his role for saving the king from this assassination plot against the king. So the next day, Haman wants to talk about impaling Mordecai on this massive pole that is erected outside. And the king turns everything around and says, I want you to honor Mordecai. I want you to give him the royal treatment. Parade him around the city. Put him on the royal horse. Give him the royal treatment. What? Is what I'm thinking inside of my head. And I've just let out. Have you ever thought about this? That when you're, you know, you're about to face disaster. Something is going really bad. And God shows up. Some observations I want to make here in this story I think are incredible. The first thing I need us to understand here today is that God will fight for you. God will fight for you. He's a fighting for you God. Working. Want me to yell? You have a, a backup? Backup line? Oh, hey, we're on. All right. See, God's fighting for me right now. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Don't you worry. Don't you freak out. Sometimes God works through the invisible hands of miracles. Sometimes God works through his invisible hand of providence. That's one of the great themes of this book. God's name is never uttered. An angel doesn't show up here in any way. A prophet doesn't speak. A miracle doesn't really happen. And the question is then, how is God at work in the story of Esther? And it's through providence. In other words, God supplies what's needed. God supplies what's needed here. He gives sustenance. He gives support. God is the one that's providing for us. What is it you're facing right now? Where is it that you need God to show up and fight for you? And we don't see the hand of God, but we see the effects of God at work in the story here. You ever had a sleepless night? I mean, I've had some of these. I'm always suspicious when this happens. Like, what's going on? It's the first thing. I, and I'm mad. I'm usually mad when I can't sleep. What, 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 why? Is it the pizza? Should, I'm not 19, in your, 19 anymore. I probably shouldn't eat pizza late at night. It's 
so maybe that's what it is, or is it just too much going on, so much stress? I'm thinking about, what am I thinking about? What's going on? Uh, the kids, the family, my wife. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things that happen. Or are, are, are you speaking, God? I've come to terms with this sometimes. I can't sleep because God is trying to get my attention. This is a pretty good way to get somebody's attention. Like, you can't sleep. Okay, come talk to me now. Let's talk. And so the king's got a lot of responsibility, a lot of things going through his mind, a lot of things that he's thinking about. He's having this sleepless night. He, he rules this massive empire. You know, he's probably got some stress that he's dealing with. He can't sleep, and I believe it's the providence of God. So the king can't sleep. He's awake, and what he says is, bring to me all the sort of, you know, the accounting. Bring me the books. Bring me the legal documents of the kingdom. I don't know. Is he trying to catch up on some late-night work that he had some, some reports due the next day or something? He's the king. Some of these reports are incredibly boring. I would think you would want to bring these if you can't sleep. However, he wants them when he cannot, and so it'll wake him up or something. Anyway, and so he's looking at these documents, and he realizes that for the last maybe four or five years prior to this assassination attempt was put together by two men who were part of his cabinet, part of his close working, and, and the man named Mordecai overheard this conversation between these two guys that want to over, overthrow the kingdom. And so the king asks, what did we ever do for that guy who stopped this? Now, it kind of looks like a coincidence, you know, and coincidence is this, what I would say, maybe the, the non-believer's word. If you don't have faith in, in Christ and believe that God can do miracles and, and do incredible, you know, it, that was just a coincidence, right? Is kind of how we think at times. Well, that was a coincidence that it happened that way. No, that was the Lord. So here at just the right time, as you'll see in a moment, this man, Mordecai, who saved his life, is about to be killed. What did we ever do for that guy? The king says, well, nothing. Now, I want you to understand this. It was customary for, uh, you know, if you saved the king's life, that you got something. So just so you know, if you ever save a king's life, you'll get something, all right? So just, you know, hang in there. Herodias uh, the, the Greek historian, he says that there was an assassination attempt on, on, uh, that was put on Xerxes' brother. And when a man reported an assassination attempt and, and spared the brother's life, he got to become the governor. Pretty good deal. And so if you get to become a governor for saving the king's brother, you should probably get something for saving the king's life. And so all of a sudden, what looks like the, a conscience of Xerxes, this horrible king, as we read in the stories in, in, in the chapters prior to this, we've not seen this yet, and all of a sudden, something happens. It appears. I should have done something for that man. We didn't do anything. And this sets in motion a series of events that saves his life. Here's the thing I want you to think about today. First thing I want you to think about. Big idea here. Don't ever question the providence of God. Assume it. 
God is working in your situation. God is working in your life. Is there an amen in the room? Somebody help me out here. Like, do we believe that God is still at work in your life? Do we believe that God is working all things together for his good? There'll be times, you know, emotionally, quite frankly, where you don't feel like you, you got it all figured out, where you don't know what's happening. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? You don't seem to be hearing me. You're not listening to me. I'm calling out to you. I'm begging you, please. And in those moments, I want you to think scripturally. I want you to remember what the Word of God says and think about what the words that are written down in Scripture would say. God, I know you're here. I know you're up to something. Help me to see what I know. See, faith is trusting in the presence and providence of God before we see it. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I, want, I would even say to you today, this week, sometime, maybe to think about this, maybe to write this down, maybe to pray, look back on your life, assume the providence of God in your situation, reinterpret the data that is going through your head, going through your mind, or what's going on, where's God, why God, what's happening here, have faith today. That God is fighting for you. Come on. God is fighting for you. What are you trusting God for? What are you believing him for today? What are you praying God for? You heard just a few moments ago that we are seeing those who've run away from Jesus come back to him. I'm praying for lost loved ones. I'm praying those who are far from God to come running back to him. I'm praying for those who are not well in their body to come back to life, that God would bring healing in their bodies. What are you praying for today? What do you believe in God for today? Assume that God is working on your behalf. I want you to catch that. Another big thing here, and I'm a little nervous about talking about this in church, but it's biblical, so it should be okay. That pride goes before the fall. Nobody wants to talk about pride. I ain't got pride. I'm good. <laughs> Haman's downfall is Mordecai's rise to power. The story of Haman seems ridiculous. Like seriously ridiculous. But how different would it be for us? How would we respond any differently? The truth is this. As we read the story, many of us are given the opportunity, would respond the same way. It's pretty quiet in here right now. Maybe not exactly the same. I could be rich. I could be powerful. I could do whatever I want. Somebody dishonors me and I can kill them. Oh, look out. Oh, I would do that. I'd have a holiday named after me. And a parade in my honor. Bring the, bring the king's horse. That would be so cool. I would love to have a horse. 
I don't even like horses. As we read the story here, we see that Haman is kind of like us. We learn from his example of pride. Maybe not a great example, but we can learn something from it today. I want to give you four or five things that we can learn in understanding pride. First thing is, you got to know your place. Knowing your place. The root word for humility literally means to know your place. The problem with Haman is he doesn't really know his place. He's the guy who always wants to go up one more level. He wants to go further in the organization, not because he's the best guy for the job, but because he just wants more glory. And so he's gotten himself to the right hand of the king, number two of the whole Persian Empire. You know what he wants? More glory. Can I just get you to stop and think for a minute? I mean, ambition is wonderful. Success, God wants the best for you. But can you just stop for a moment and ask yourself this question? Do I know my place? Do I know where God's calling me? Do I know what he has in store for me? And be good with that. Know my place. Do you accept your place? Do you understand where you are in the organization Or do you need to be the best? Do you need to be number one? Seeing others succeed is like painful. You've got to be the one who succeeds. And that's Haman's problem. He doesn't know his place. What he's asking for is outlandish. I want to wear the king's robes. I want to ride the king's horses. The only thing he doesn't ask for is the king's wife here in the story. Other than that, he wants to be as high, as exalted, as rich, as powerful as he can be. Humility is more of a direction than a destination. None of you can say that I I used to be proud, glad that's over. Author C.J. Mahaney writes this in a book called Humility. He says, no one can ever say they're humble. All they can say is that they're a proud person pursuing humility by the grace of God. Isn't that good? So all we can say as Christians is not, I've arrived at the destination of humility. But what we can say is, but by the grace of God. I want to venture in the direction of humility. Are you even trying today? Hey, I I don't think this is going to be popular. Because we we don't like this to hit us in the face. But pride is all about glory. And humility is all about God's story. Pride is all about my glory. Humility is all about God's glory. Jonathan Edwards says this, rightly, American theologian. He says, once the question of glory is settled, everything is settled. When you decide who gets the glory, that makes 99% of the decisions in your life. Who gets the glory when that happens? Who gets the glory in this situation? When you've already decided who gets the glory, you're, you're doing good. Will I do this or will I do that? Well, what will bring most glory to God? Well, then I'll do that. 
question of who gets the glory, it clarifies everything. If Haman would have asked, what would bring God the most glory? Different story, wouldn't it? You're fighting with your spouse. You say, well, what should I do? Well, whatever brings most glory. You're disobeying your parents. What should you do? Whatever brings God most glory. You're disagreeing with your leadership. How should you conduct yourself? In whatever way brings God the most glory. We should have a bracelet that says, what would bring God the most glory? What would that be? W, anyway, doesn't matter. Let me keep going here. Pride turns in on me. Humility turns out to God and others. Martin Luther said that sin is the self-bending in on the self. It's all about me. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. Humility turns our affections and our directions toward God's glory and others. What's best for God? What will help them? Pride turns it in on me. Humility directs us back to God and others. And what Jesus says, to love God and love neighbor. Finally, pride births death, but humility births life. Augustine, the great church father, said that pride is a mother who is pregnant with all other sins. All sin comes out of pride. All sin is birthed out of pride. All virtue, all holiness, all glory of God is birthed out of humility. Is your heart pregnant with pride or is it pregnant with humility today? What will it give birth to? I think there's some things we need to ask ourselves about pride today. I want us to understand this. A bit of an inventory, some questions you can ask yourself. Are you ready for this? I know you're like, oh man, more. We gotta talk about yeah, let's let's just let's let the word of God speak to us today. Do you crave attention? Do you crave honor, recognition, or reward? Haman did, right? He'd already been made number two in the kingdom. The decree had been made, everybody bowed down to him, but that's not enough. One guy doesn't bow down, the whole thing's messed up. So he wants to crucify him on a pole that he built 75 feet tall to make an example of him. And then he wants to follow it up with riding on the king's horse, wearing the king's robe with a parade and a holiday in his own honor. Well, some of you say, well, that's unbelievable. Well, maybe. But if, what if we were given the same opportunities? Would we do the same thing? The only difference sometimes is I think we don't have the same opportunities. Do you crave attention? Do you crave honor? Do you crave recognition? Do you get angry when overlooked? I, be- I can't believe I didn't get that. I can't believe I didn't get that raise. I didn't get the promotion? What? I can't believe they didn't say thanks. I can't believe they didn't pay me back. I can't believe they didn't see what I had done and and they didn't honor me in some way. I'm very angry about that. Well, who gets the glory? 
ask yourself this question. Do you become jealous or critical of people who succeed? Proud people become jealous of those who succeed. They can't rejoice for those who rejoice. They got married? Really? It's amazing that anybody would marry that guy. They got pregnant? Do they have any idea what's involved in that? We better pray for the kid. They got a raise? I don't think that he'll be able to handle the financial. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And all of a sudden, I'm going to criticize them and make a case that they didn't deserve it, unlike myself. How about this? Do you always have to win? Are you a person that always has to win? No matter what. Let me move on. Do you lack ambition for fear of failing? Sometimes people think pride just makes you a winner. No, sometimes pride also makes you a coward. I'm not going to try that because what if I fail? I don't want to really, you know, push myself too much here because that may reflect poorly on me, so I won't try. I'm not going to start that ministry. I'm not going to go into that area of business. I'm not going to try anything new because I, I'm not going to really try that relationship. I don't want to take a risk. Why? Because there's a possibility it might not work out. And I can't fail because then people would look at me badly. For some of you here today, Pride causes you not to try and do more than you can do. For others of you, it causes you to be coward and, and not do anything that you can do. Pride's a bit tricky. How about this? Do you have a pattern of lying or hiding your failures? When you were a kid, you got a bad grade. You threw the paper away, but if you got an A, you showed it to mommy. Do you hide your failures or do you lie about your failures? Think about this one. Do you have a hard time fully acknowledging you were wrong? Proud people at most partially repent. Well, did you do that? Well, sort of. But let me explain. You may only confess what you got caught for, not the whole truth, though, right? You may try and partially confess just to, to make it go away. You have a hard time coming clean about things, though. Again, it's all back to the question, who gets the glory? Do you have a, a lot of conflicts with other people? Are you having a conflict with me right now? Who does he think he is? Who is that guy anyway? We like the other one better. She's prettier. She's nicer. She's way more funny. You know, I Googled him the other day. Nothing pops up. Nothing. <laughs> Here's what I've seen. Very few conflicts between the humble and the humble, right? There are very few conflicts between the humble and the humble. 
It's not like there's a long list of wars that started between the humble and the humble. Now there's wars about you know, when two clash, the proud and the proud. That's a good fight. Are you a person that has a lot of conflict? Don't point the finger at anyone else. Don't nudge your spouse, friend beside you. If so, maybe it's time for some help. Do you honestly feel like you're superior to most people? If this is something that pops up. This sort of pride leads to contempt. They're foolish. They're ugly. They're lazy. They're disorganized. They're not like me, and that's just too bad for them. I just want to say careful. And let me just say this. Do you tend more toward an attitude of entitlement or thankfulness? Humble people tend to be more thankful. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gift you've given me. Thank you for the prayer that you've prayed. And proud people have a sense of entitlement. Hey, that's mine. That's my money. That's my job. That's my position. Hey, that's my desk. Get out of there. That's my office. That's my lane on the freeway. Get over. Move over. That's mine. If you have a sense of entitlement or a sense of thankfulness, thankfulness, where are you at today? See, the truth is, look at the scripture today. We all deserve, are you ready for this? We all deserve eternal punishment and hell. Hey, good news. Welcome to church today, everybody. I'm Pastor Dave. Everything else that you get is a gift. Everything and anything we get is a gift. And we've all been given the greatest gift of eternal life with Christ. All we have to do today is receive it. In summary, let me give you these. Let me close in this way. God is for you. He is working on your behalf. I want you to remember that. Everybody say it. God is for me. He's working on my behalf. And the second thing I want you to understand today, maybe not so easy to swallow, is that we have to deal with pride. It's all around us. It's in every part of the world we live in. I want to pray for you today. All across this place, can we just bow our heads, close our eyes? You're here today, and you would say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. And I want to grow in my heart to continue to serve God and love Jesus and follow him. God, I realize that you have more for me today, and it's time to live a life that is selfless. That it's, it's no longer about me and about how things are going to work out and, and how I have to handle it and be in control. And I've given my life to you, but God, it seems so strange that I always try to take control back. Help me to see myself the way you see me today, Lord, as your servant.
and you're here today, you love Jesus, you know Jesus, but you're here today saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me because there are some things I'm holding on to. I need to let go. I need to let God be the God of my life in every area. But I'm holding on to some things. And you say, Pastor, please pray for me. I need some, I need prayer today. Go ahead. Just, just lift your hand up. Put it back down again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All across this room today, uh, we're hearing the voice of the Lord speak to us. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to your people right now that you would help us to find a place where you can use us where we can give our lives to you and this idea of fighting the fight on our own has to stop help us to remember where our place is in you Lord that we don't have to posture or push our way through life that you have the place for us you have the right to know what our place is for our, our lives, for our community, for our church, and working in our homes. As you just keep praying today all across this room, I think the Lord wants us to respond to him. We're going to give you a moment to, just at the end in a few minutes to come forward for prayer. We're going to have some people here that the front of our church to pray for you today as you keep praying there are some of you that are you realize today that you're really not live you're living for yourself that everything you do is really if you you boil it down i mean you try it at your best but you're really just living for yourself let me let me remind you today that's not unusual that's not abnormal you're not a freak of nature it's actually natural because by nature we are all incredibly selfish you don't have to teach anyone how to do that we are selfish we're we're sinful we're self-centered that this is how we are by nature let me tell you what Jesus did he didn't come to be served by people. Imagine this, Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to offer his life for you, a ransom. He came to offer a payment for the forgiveness of sins. Who is Jesus? The sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the forgiveness of your sin. When you recognize that today, who he is and what he did your own your only reasonable response is yes i want that i want that kind of life when you call on the name of jesus he hears your prayers he forgives every sin you have ever committed. You become a brand new person. He doesn't just save you, but he changes you. And you finally realize that it is not all about me and this life of pride that I've been living. Maybe you're here today and you're suddenly realizing that you've been self-centered 
so self-absorbed and now you recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. I want His freedom. I want His forgiveness. I want to give my life completely to Him. If that's you and you're saying, I need His grace, I need His mercy, I need His forgiveness, I turn from my sins and I turn to Jesus today. Today, Jesus, I want to give you my life. If that's your prayer, I want you to boldly lift your hand up today. Is that you? Anybody in this room today? Just boldly thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. All across this room. Can we just all together pray this prayer? I'm going to ask everybody to just stand to your feet today. Man, you lifted your, your hand up. I need Jesus. I want him in my life. Father, I repeat this after me. Say, Heavenly Father. I completely give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. Save me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you and serve others. Now you have my life, and now I have yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, let's just celebrate with those who've given their life to Jesus today. All across this room, hands were raised saying, yes, I want Jesus. I need him. I need his help. I need, it. I need the hope that comes from him. I'm going to ask for our prayer team. Would you just come, come around here? I'm going to dismiss it. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet. 